the Royal Australian Air Force in person, 1921 to 2021. Ad Astra Aviator. This is a series of podcasts recounting the personal stories of veterans and their families. The narrator is Gareth McRae, OAM. Sir Rodan Cutler, VC, AK, KCMG, KCVO, CBE, was an Australian diplomat, the longest serving governor of New South Wales and a recipient of the Victoria Cross, the highest award for gallantry. Arthur Ronan Cutler was born on the 24th of May 1916. He grew up in the Sydney suburb of Manly, where he attended the Manly Village Public School. At the age of 15, he was enrolled at Sydney Boys High School. Throughout his life, he remained a keen supporter of this school, in particular the cadet unit of which he was honorary colonel. He studied economics during the night at the University of Sydney, joining the Sydney University Regiment in 1936. He enjoyed all sports, especially riding, rifle shooting and water polo, and in fact was awarded a University Blue in swimming. With this in mind, as an 18-year-old lifesaver, he swam to the aid of a surfer who was being circled by a large shark. The shark brushed him twice as he helped the surfer to the beach. On November 10, 1939, he was commissioned as a lieutenant in the militia. In May 1940, he transferred from the Citizens' Militia to the 2nd Australian Imperial Force, receiving a commission in the 2nd 5th Field Regiment, Royal Australian Artillery, Australian 7th Division. In 1941, he served with the 2nd 5th in the Syria-Lebanon campaign. Between 19 June and July 6, in the Merjayoun demur area of Syria, and as part of the Battle of Merjayoun, Lieutenant Cutler's exploits included repairing a telephone line under heavy fire, repulsing enemy tank attacks, setting up an outpost to bring fire to a road used by the enemy, and with a 25-pound field gun, demolishing a post threatening the Australian advance. Later, during the Battle of Demur, he was seriously wounded, and when rescued, 26 hours later, his leg had to be amputated. Roden received the Victoria Cross for his actions in the Merjayoun de Moor area and was medically discharged in 1942. In the aftermath of a battle in Syria in the early stages, this young lieutenant lay seriously wounded, as I said, for 26 hours before it was possible to rescue him. He was invalided home and was invested with the Victoria Cross while standing on crutches by the Governor-General of Australia, Lord Gary, on the 11th of June, 1942. His Majesty, King George VI, was graciously pleased to approve the award of the Victoria Cross to the undermentioned Lieutenant Arthur Roden Cutler, Australian Military Forces. That citation, which is summarised, reads, for conspicuous and sustained gallantry and for outstanding bravery during the bitter fighting of Merjayoun, supporting the infantry attack. He established his OP ahead of the infantry and in the fighting that followed, his Bren gunner was killed and Cutler, 
and another man manned the Bren gun and an anti-tank rifle and fought back, driving the enemy infantry away. He had been ordered to establish his OP to register the only road by which enemy transport could enter the town. An enemy attack was imminent and he was in danger of being cut off. Nevertheless, he registered his battery on the road and enemy posts. He was forced to go to ground, but at night made his way back through enemy lines. On June 23, he was in charge of a 25-pounder sent forward to silence an anti-tank gun and post. This he did, and next morning, Mergeun was captured. Later at Demore on July 6, when our infantry were pinned down by heavy fire, Lieutenant Cutler, regardless of all danger, went to bring a telephone line to his OP. When he was seriously wounded, 26 hours elapsed before rescue, necessitating amputation of his leg. Throughout the campaign, this officer's courage was unparalleled and his work was a big factor in the capture of Mer Jayun. So reads in part the citation. Those painful and no doubt terrifying hours cost him his right leg, but he survived to collect the Victoria Cross for his conspicuous courage under fire and his inspiring leadership. Yet, this was only the beginning of a long and illustrious career of service to others. Australia, and indeed the world, was to know him as Sir Arthur Roden Cutler, prominent diplomat, patron and benefactor of numerous charities and community groups, and the longest-serving governor of New South Wales. In 1946, Roden was appointed Australian High Commissioner in New Zealand, and several other diplomatic postings followed, including appointment as Consul General in New York. In 1965, he took up the post of Ambassador to the Netherlands, but shortly afterwards was appointed Governor of New South Wales. Tall, handsome, dignified man. Cutler was a royalist, comfortable in a role not yet modernised. He remained a respected and popular governor until his retirement in 1981. I might add, at a special meeting of the Senate held in the Great Hall of Sydney University on April 5, 1967, the degree of Doctor of Laws, honoris causa, was conferred by the Chancellor, Charles MacDonald, upon this university visitor, His Excellency Sir Arthur Roden Cutler, Governor of New South Wales, that a man so distinguished and dedicated was accorded the honour of a state funeral following his death in February 2002 will come as no surprise. Perhaps the only person who might have been taken aback was the man himself. Many commentators have acknowledged the persistent humility of Sir Roden, a devoted husband and father who brought his special brand of courage to every role in his life. The state funeral and service of Thanksgiving took place on the 28th of February 2002 at St Andrew's Cathedral in Sydney. Crowds of people lined George Street behind hundreds of Australian soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder as the gun carriage bearing Sir Roden's flag-draped coffin passed slowly by. A muffled peal of the cathedral bells was rung before the service, conducted then by the Most Reverend Archbishop Harry Goodhue. Tributes 
were delivered by the New South Wales Premier, Bob Carr, and by Mr G.E. Priest, then President of the New South Wales branch of the RSL. Her Excellency Professor Marie Bashir, AC, then Governor of New South Wales, and the then Most Reverend Peter Jensen, read the lessons. After the service, a salute volley was fired when the coffin and its military pallbearers reached George Street. Sir Rodan Cutler fulfilled the role of Governor of New South Wales from 1966 to 1981. An unpretentious boy from Manly became one of his generation's greatest heroes and never stopped serving the community. His motto on his coat of arms was Undeque Servire, which translates as service in all places. And indeed, he is remembered not only for his great bravery, but his outstanding service and compassion to the community. I've had the privilege of interviewing many famous people, but it was indeed a great honour to have been able to interview Sir Rodan in his home shortly before his died. The interview was aired on Radio 2SM and Radio 2CH in Sydney on an Anzac Day. Let me now share part of that interview with you here. Four after nine here on 2SM, and as I said, a rather special hour for Anzac Day, an Anzac Day tribute. And my first guest, and I couldn't think of a more important person and a more appropriate person to open up the hour than be talking to Sir Rodan Cutler, VC, AK, KCMG, KCVO and CBE. I'd like to get him to reflect on World War II and also look at the concept of bravery from a man who was awarded the Victoria Cross. And he joins me in the studio right now. Sir Rodan, good evening. Good evening, Gareth. Thank you very much for your time, Sir Rodan Cutler. It's a privilege to be able to talk to you. Uh, having been a student at Sydney University, when I when I read in the in the blurb that was sent to me through the Sydney Gazette that there was going to be a University of Sydney War Memorial refurbishment, I thought, I've got to find out more about this. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I mean, wh- why the need for one? Well, I think the need for one is that the university supplied a surprising number of graduates and undergraduates during the war, mm. the Second World War, and this mem- memorial is a Second World War one. The university asked me if I'd be chairman. I suppose partly because of my involvement with the Sydney University Regiment Mm. uh, as a young (laughs) soldier coming up in the ranks and getting my commission there. Possibly that I'd been the honorary colonel for 18 years and followed a very distinguished ex-university man, Victor Windia, General Windia. And I suppose uh, partly because uh, I've been or was visitor of the university for 15 years. And, uh, you know, the visitor is supposed to settle all internal uh, arguments and differences. Uh, It can be rather an onerous job at times. So I said yes, because I thought it was necessary to refurbish this memorial. Mm. Otherwise, everybody forgets that university students or graduates were involved in what was a national war. They forget the memory. That's why I took on the chairmanship. For someone, sadly, who hasn't, maybe has been a student of the university and has never visited the particular War Memorial as it is now, I mean, what, what kinds of things can they expect to see or could they expect to see currently if they were to go there? There are two memorials. Of course, there's the First World War, which is over, I think, in the base of the Carillion Tower. Right. And this one is the archway across Science Road. There is... What we plan to do is have a book of remembrance with, if we can get it, photographs of those who were killed or died during war, 
uh, and a very brief summary of what faculty they were in, um, which unit, sure. which uh, arm of the service they joined, and when they were killed, and mm. so on. But it'll be brief. Now, they could go in and turn up a relative there or have a look at the book. There would be facilities, we hope, for just quietly sitting if they want to contemplate things. Sure. Uh, probably a, a facility for doing a little bit of research within reason because we're all acting in an honorary capacity. Of course. But I think most of the people who would visit it would be university people. Mm -hmm. And don't forget the young students these days are suddenly reactivating an interest in our history and this is history. Yeah, I think it's so important. I mean, on a couple of occasions over the last week, uh, noticing uh, the, the comments on the Holocaust and the need to, to continually make that part of our history, make that part of the, the curriculum that's taught in schools, and, and so that the people coming up are reminded that this happened, so we can never forget that it happened. And, and not let it happen again. So I think it's important also that university students, being the, the most critical thinkers in our, in our society, are, are forever mindful. And to have such a thing on the campus of the university reminds them that, you know, Australia did have this role to play during World War II and World War I. I, I think my figures are correct, but this is from memory. There were 4,000 university graduates or undergraduates who joined up. We know of about 277 who were killed. Mm. We're hoping to trace any others, but of course they joined up and uh, some of them lost their identity. <laughs> of course, of course. That's a, that's a significant number from the... I mean, 4,000 who joined up because it wouldn't have had a large well, population. Well, the, the current university membership at that time, again, if I remember correctly, uh, was 3,650. Uh, now, of course, many of those 4,000 uh, would be graduates like myself. I think I mentioned to you... Uh, recently that uh, one of my friends, Ray Thorold Smith, uh, who was in fifth year medicine, well known in the university and uh, we were in the swimming club together, he went and joined the AIF and mm -hmm. gave his occupation when they asked him as medical student. When the papers got to higher authority, the recruiting officer was told to discharge him. So Ray Thorold Smith was rather discouraged, but he left, and so he went down to the Air Force, and they said, your occupation? And it was the end of the Depression years. He said, I'm unemployed. <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> going to say he's from university twice. <laughs> no. He became a, a well-known and distinguished fighter pilot, wing commander, uh, was shot down off Darwin, mm. killed. Quite sadly. So nobody would know unless somebody remembered sure. so, that I mean, he was members of the family, a, a right? university uh, undergraduate. So someone listening to us right now then, perhaps, who, who's had a, a father, grandfather, grandmother, whatever, who, who may have been involved in, in World War II and or World War I and was a graduate of the university and has since died. Or undergraduate or undergraduate. So clearly you, not you personally, but the organisation would like to hear about those people, no doubt. Oh, very much so. When we put the notice in the Gazette that the committee had been formed and this is what we wanted, we immediately got another 26 names of those killed. We got a number of photographs. I think there were nine photographs came right. in and... We do have one woman who was a nurse in, uh, in the UK, an Australian, who went over and was nursing in the UK and the bomb, German bomb mm. blew the hospital up and she was killed. So, Roden, obviously, to get it underway, you also need money. I mean, it's not going to just sort of fall out of the air, so you need people to make contributions too, no doubt. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, our 
estimate of costs is $175,000. We looked at it very carefully and we got the breakup, and I don't think over the air you'd want to know the breakup, but there is a refit of the gallery space, including the refurbishing of the whole place and lighting and fire protection. There are a new set of gates. We've got to rebuild the entry stairs and refurbish the stairwell. Now, they're all pretty close or, or are $50,000 each. So there's right. your 150 roughly straight away without the little incidentals. Mm. We hope that university graduates, uh, probably those who have had an association with the Sydney University Regiment, uh, would be happy to send us a donation. No matter how small, it, it'll be very helpful. I've spoken to the RSL and mm-hmm. uh, they have their own problems of raising money, of course, of for course. their own affairs. But I think they might be um, sympathetic and if they can spare a a few dollars (laughs) that we might get some help there. Probably some of the firms, uh, business firms, although (laughs) this sounds like almost a tale of woe, but everybody's got difficulty in finding money. But some of the firms, uh, for instance, chemical and industrial firms for which the university may have helped with some research or some of the, uh, the graduates from the university may have gone over to them as scientists or technical people. So we hope we'll be able to collect it. And of course we're putting in from our own pockets too. Of course. I know you won't say it, but I think I can say it. I mean, you've heard what Sir Roden said, maybe one of the big chemical companies, maybe ICI or BHP or CSR, you've, you've got people working for you now, helping develop and, and, and further your, your particular company because they are graduates of Sydney University. Now, what's the, the motto? Sidera Menzi, Adam Mutato, under the same mind, under another sky? Well, wherever they happen to be working, they're working for you. Maybe you can make some contribution to this great, great appeal for the War Memorial Museum at, uh, at the University of Sydney. Well, you can ring that number again that I gave you. I'll give it to you at the end of the interview, but it's important that everyone contributes, and I suppose, Sir Ron, it really doesn't have to be... You don't have to be a graduate or undergraduate of Sydney University because you, you are contributing to, to history, aren't you? Yes, and also, uh, no doubt, there are many more students at the university now, many more, and it may well be that children of someone or uh, grandchildren of someone, even further down the line, uh, may be at the university, and I'm sure they would like to go along and have a look and say, well, my father or grandfather contributed to that. Sure. Well, on this 25th day of April, this very important day in the the history of Australia, Sir Roden Cutler, VC... AK, KCMG, KCVO, CBE, you were very, very much involved as far as World War II is concerned. If I could be rude and ask perhaps you to reflect on some of those years, how would you describe, from your perspective now, the men and women who were involved during World War II? I think in the first place it was a national war. None of us liked what was happening in Europe, but all of us, I think, didn't want anything like that to happen in Australia. Mm. And so without going into it very deeply I suppose we looked upon it as our responsibility to join up and mm. don't forget war only takes the youngest and the fittest Yes, uh, and so we joined up and I can not recall any demonstrations or any antipathy to us joining up. As a matter of fact I came back from the war wounded and was back in civilian clothes and probably sitting in a car being driven somewhere where nobody could see that I had crutches. I got some very rude comments (laughs) as to why I hadn't joined up and some of my friends got white feathers so the whole feeling was that we should join up. Did did you come across on an individual level, any any regrets, any any moments of what am I doing here? I, I'd rather be somewhere else. I'd rather 
anybody anywhere else but here. Oh, yes, jokingly. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> like the soldier who wrote back from the Middle East to his mother, and they weren't allowed to say where they were, of course, so he, but he said, Dear Mother, I'm now in the land where Christ was born. But I wish to Christ I was in the land where I was born. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got that sort of thing, yes. But no, the, I can only recall one person who thought that it was time he'd get back to Australia and he was a First World War man mm. he was certainly, he was quartermaster and um, he felt that, you know, he was getting a bit old for it and he'd like to get back Sure, but no, I don't think that I can't think of anyone who consciously set out to get back and dodge the war Sure, what it, about was, the... it was very unpleasant I can imagine it would have been. What about the, the, the friendships formed? I mean, we hear a lot about mateship, and it, it's become a word that's almost become a cliché. But how important was that, that feeling of mateship and that feeling of friendship? Oh, it was very important indeed. And in action, if you couldn't completely depend upon the person next to you, <laughs> you, you were looking over your shoulder all the time, and uh, there would have been no uh, hmm. feeling of morale. It was a very firm, united group in each year. Unit. And that's continued in after the war on the same basis as you greet someone who was at school with you. Sure. And what about the continual, because today we can't really experience it in Australia, the continual confrontation with death? What kind of effect did that have on, on people around you? I think a different effect may be to what you get today where some of them seek death. We've just heard what happened in, in Waco. I think, well, before we'd go into action, it was surprising how many of the troops suddenly wanted to see the Padre and say a prayer with him. Sure. It was a feeling that it was there all the time. It was at our shoulder, but if our mates were going to go in, we'd go in with them. What about the mothers and, and, and daughters and, and the ladies who, who, who weren't involved in the war but left at home? What was the? How do you think it affected them? I think it affected them more than it affected us because we knew when we were out of the line and could relax a bit, whereas uh, our mothers, uh, aunts, uh, wives and all the rest, sisters, didn't know. And sure. I think it affected them very much because they feel a greater affinity with the care and well-being of others mm. than the soldiers themselves. Mm. One continually hears the question, why, I mean, you mentioned at the start of the interview that so many Australian boys went in droves to, to join up. What was the motivation in reflecting back? Why did they? I think I mentioned it, that it was a national war, that the yes. community were right behind uh, those who joined up, and indeed you could easily get a white feather. You came back wounded and they didn't realise that you'd sure. been to the war. It was patriotism. patriotism. Now, that, that's a word they wouldn't use. Um, I suppose I can use it, but if you'd asked any of them at the time, they'd say, uh, oh, had to get away from the wife or, you know, some facetious comment, they sure. probably wouldn't be married. But it was essentially, in deep down, patriotism. Mm. They believed in this nation, they wanted to see it free, and they didn't like what Hitler was doing or anyone else was doing on that side. Of course. Could I perhaps ask you to be even more personal, if you wouldn't mind, and you can tell me no if you don't want to, but could I maybe take you back to the 1941 and the Syrian campaign? And I know during that campaign in 1941, there were two people awarded the Victoria Cross, yes. yourself being one of them. Could you relive that moment with us, or the, how, what led up to that, how that occurred? It would take a long time, Gareth. <laughs> My honour was given over a period of 19 days. Briefly, I suppose, it was the attack on Merjayoun, where the citation is kind enough to say that my work had a big effect on the 
recapture of Merjoyoon and then we were pulled out and taken over to the coast and uh, I went into the attack again as a forward observation or the forward observation officer with the infantry crossing the Damore River. You get a bit muddled in war. I was interviewed quite recently for the National Library and uh, said, well, you single-handedly captured three machine gun nests. You did indeed. On that occasion. Uh, But it's not in the citation. (laughs) 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 And it's not in the citation. So... uh, you know, the citation really only mentions what I did at um, at Merge. Yeah, yeah. The, the notion of, I mean, we've, there's a lot of words that have become cliche in the 1990s that, that in the 1940s were very important and real, had real meaning, and one of them is bravery. I mean, you were awarded the VC, and that's, that's the highest honour that any person can be awarded in war. It's not something that someone consciously sets out to achieve. It's not something that someone thinks about before they do it. They just do it. What do you think the word bravery meant to the men and women who were fighting during World War II? And I won't be asking to be personal here and reflect on your own. It meant overcoming fear. We were all deep down nervous, little frightened, and some of them, you know, could overcome it and uh, think and give leadership. Others couldn't. And I think that's the definition of bravery, in my view, overcoming fear. Sure. So the overcoming of that fear in the face of danger, in the face of war, led some people to go beyond the call of normal duty and do things that they wouldn't have normally done in, in, in under normal circumstances. Oh, that's very true. You can't, um, Lord Slim said, you cannot pick a person who's going to do those sort of mm. things. Some whom you might expect more from didn't come up to the expectations. Others, like a signaller I had, age 17 and, you know, first time away from home, showed much more bravery than many of the old soldiers. Maybe he didn't know what he was in for, whereas some of the old (laughs) soldiers did. But I think what happens, you do not, or nobody does, set out to win an honour and the Victoria Cross at least 50% of posthumous. That's a bit of discouragement to start with. Sure. Secondly, I think you you, uh, would be more than egotistical if you thought you could do it and get away with it and set out to do it. But there comes a time when you may be in the right position, if you'd like me using that phrase, but in a position where you can do something and you do it. If you've got that sense of responsibility, if you've had the training, if you've got the determination, if you've got the loyalty and support of the troops and probably, hopefully, you might get away with it. But you don't set out to work out the chance of getting it. No, of course not. Perhaps then, as almost a final question, this is Anzac Day again, and what does it mean to you, and would you hope it means to other people? Oh, it means to me, I suppose, memories of very good friends who didn't come back, memories of with my wife going to Gallipoli and the dawn service there with Simpson's grave just a couple of feet behind us and looking over Anzac Cove. Behind us, the Anzac Cove was there. It means not a glorification of war by any means, Mm. and that I say very firmly, but it does mean to me giving us a light which we can follow, giving us an example which we can follow if we're going to build this country into what every serviceman hoped it would be built into, a united country all pulling together without any question of communities or differences of religion or colour or any other reason and so that I suppose is what it means to me and I'm sure to those who march and those who are too old to march. Sir Roden Cutler I do appreciate your time tonight. Thank you very much Gareth and I hope that appeal of yours reaches uh, a number of receptive ears. 
Globally, the RAAF has between 500 and 700 people on operations every day, contributing to coalition operations, peacekeeping and humanitarian and disaster relief. The RAAF takes pride in its service. It has a history of endeavour and sacrifice, which has won it a place in the hearts of all Australians and a position of respect among the armed services of all Australia's allies. The RAAF will never tarnish its record. It carries on in the proud tradition of Per Adua and Astra. This is a series of podcasts recounting the personal stories of veterans and their families. Produced by Air Force Association New South Wales, which is a registered charity that focuses on the well-being of Air Force veterans and their families. If you would like to donate funds to help us with this important work, you can search Air Force Association New South Wales in Google and go to our website.